0: Welcome to the Axe and Anvil podcast, a discussion of craft between blacksmith Jordan Goodwin and filmmaker Bo Schultz. Join us as we travel around to talk with skilled craftsmen and learn from their adventures.
1: So today we're here at the shop of Kenton Adams. Kenton is a friend of mine. He lives not too far from me, not too far at all as the crow flies. (laughs) And Kenton is a blacksmith and knife maker, and he makes some beautiful knives and some decent iron work. (laughs) I like to give him a hard time. So Kenton, tell us about it. How did you get started in blacksmithing, knife making? What came first? How old were you?
2: And all the the deets. The knife making came first. I was 11, I believe, and we lived in Florida at the time. My dad told me he was going to get me a pocket knife. And I had always enjoyed making things, but I had never really made things out of metal. Aluminum here and there maybe, but it was mostly just wood. And so I thought, I wonder if I can make myself a pocket knife. I mean, you know, I was delighted for the one that was getting, but I just thought maybe I could make this kind of thing. And my very first knife, I cut a blocky, rectangle handle out of it scrap a two by four. And I cut the blade out of a bean can. Alrighty, righty, you know that's bean pretty cans, awesome. They have the, the ribs around yeah. them. And when you cut a straight line in that and cut a bevel on it, it makes it look like serrations. And I thought, this is great. My first knife is a serrated knife out of a bean can. Oh, well, that never, I don't even know where that knife went. That one never really got finished um, because of the little Dremel I had and metal grinding bits. I couldn't grind the wood. Picture metal grinding bits on wood. It's more like burning the wood deep enough to make a slot for the folding blade and everything. So that was was just an attempt. I don't really consider that my first knife. Shortly after that, we moved here to Tennessee. Not at this location, but we were renting near here while we built this place. And I thought, you know, I need to take this back up again. So I got a book called The $50 Knife Shop by ABS Master Smith Wayne Goddard. And the emphasis of that book is on, you know, trying to make high quality tools with really I mean, high-quality knives with really basic tools. And that book is what got me started. And yeah. that's, like that's where, I, where I began. Once I had a forge and was learning about the heat treating, then I thought, you know, I could do other things with hot metal. And that's when I branched into the blacksmithing.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. So it so, had
0: nothing to do with YouTubers or, or bladesmithing culture online. It was because of your own right. desire to make
2: something. Right, in our family, um, we, we children were not allowed to do anything with the computer except use it as a phone. Um, our phone runs there sometimes. Um, so we weren't allowed to do anything with the computer until we could type properly 35 words per minute and 95% accuracy, <laughs> which That's I did awesome. in eighth grade, I believe. So yeah, there was no searching YouTube or anything. It was just a matter of, um, and you know, I honestly think the reason I, get, I got into craftsmanship is because I wasn't online. online. You know, the internet is like a huge black hole that just sucks people's time up. It, you know, it, it, people use it as entertainment, I believe. Um, and so I think partly because I wasn't on there is what made me start just working with my hands, trying to create things, trying to have fun and invent things. And so yeah, that's kind of the yeah. story of how that got started when I was 11. And I believe it was, I was 12 or 13 when I actually f- made my first complete knife with that, which I can show you later on. I still have it to this day.
1: That's awesome. So we met for the first time you were about 13? I was just getting into blacksmithing. Okay. Just getting and, into And uh, we were both taking advantage of the same deal on some coal here locally. Some
2: really nasty, <laughs> raunchy... <laughs> hey, I thought it was great. heating
1: coal out of an old schoolhouse that was no longer used. I but.
2: thought it was great. All I had used up to that time was charcoal that I made myself in the fire pit. So I was <laughs> thrilled. <laughs> I'm not sure charcoal
1: would have been a downgrade from that stuff. It seemed like it was... Dust that produced clinkers
2: <laughs> turned <laughs> there into was clinkers. A lot of dust.
1: Oh. oh, so um, and from that, from there. How old are you now? I am twenty. I'll be twenty-one next month. Okay, so you've been into knife making for about seven, eight years now. Yep. And um, so, what, like, where do you feel like you're at now, and where do you see yourself going with
2: the blacksmithing knife making? What do you want to do more of? I'm definitely in a transition time right now. Um, I've done a lot of knife making, um, well, kind of a lot. I mean, that's been my emphasis. No, I don't have like years and years of experience like some people do, but that's what's been my emphasis so far. Yeah, it shows. But really fine looking work. Well, thank you. But I, re- I really feel that the knife making market is kind of flooded. Like, there are a lot of really, really good knife makers out there. And I kind of want to do something different. I kind of want to have fun branching out into another area. So I am shifting more to doing Damascus pattern welded woodworking chisels, which um, I have a few of them in progress right back here that I've been working on. And that I feel is an area that I can really branch out into, um, partly because it combines woodworking with metalworking, not only in making it with the wood Mm -hmm. handles, but using creative and decorative metalworking to make woodworking tools, I think is just kind of a fun way to mix them. And there's, there's a huge, um,
1: huge interest in in nice woodworking hand tools so i think it's a great idea i will i try not to argue with with um, people i'm interviewing but i I have to say i don't think that that the uh, knife market will ever be be saturated because i and this is coming from somebody who's not a knife maker but um the same goes for blacksmithing i think that i think that anybody can um can make a good living selling knives or blacksmithing stuff mm-hmm. or whatever, um, if they just build enough of a reputation for themselves to basically um, you know, make people want to buy from them. It can yeah, be the same knife makes a dozen other guys or a hundred other guys are making, but if people want
2: your knives, they'll buy them. I, I totally agree. I see I see what you mean. I would say probably a bigger portion of why I'm doing more chisels is because I want to do something different. Yeah, I want to do I something that I awesome. haven't seen that much I done.
1: Um, I, I mean, hey, I don't make knives, that's intentional. Not yet, anyway.
2: And, but I do like making plant.
1: woodworking tools. You there we go, there plant. we go. You yeah. should come over and we'll make a draw
2: knife. <laughs> good. Hey, but I wanted to get Damascus draw knives to yeah. so go with Damascus tools. That'll be awesome, too. That'll be awesome, too. So.
0: How do you find a market for your work?
2: Most of my market is online, and most of the advertising comes through word of mouth. Um, for example, with the, these Damascus chisels. Where I know I'm going to sell this set when it's done is to people who learned about it from the previous set. I've only done one completed set before and that was for a local woodworker who does beautiful beautiful high-end furniture and um, when I say beautiful like he gets these huge slabs of burl and all kinds of things they're really beautiful and I had done the set for him and He had talked to a few people about it, and I had quite a number of people contacting me wanting a set, and at that time I wasn't ready to take on another order. That first set, because I was really new at it, and because I was still in school at the time, it took me six months to finish it. And I was glad to have it done, wanted to do more, but at that time I couldn't take on more orders and more projects. And even right now, I'm still with some commitments I have and such, I can't take on projects that take months custom orders but I still want to do more that's why I'm just doing more right now I'm just doing sets and I will post them available as I have them done
1: yeah that's awesome so um, tell me a little bit more about like how you like to work um, obviously this is a this is a different a different mix of tools and methods than I use in, in my almost hand tool only shop and um, and uh, I really love the machines, and, the, and especially the vintage ones. So just, just tell us how you, how you mix the things as, as old school as a
2: coal forge with a uh, milling machine and, and all of that. So I enjoy, as far, as far as the craftsmanship of it, I enjoy getting near, as close to machine perfection as I can being handmade. I enjoy the challenge of fitting things you know so tight not a bit of light gets through a gap um sometimes to a fault like we were talking about this flower stand that i'm currently working on and how you know building the thing to all within everything's within a 32nd of an inch and you're basically saying you know tolerance is like that it's nice but sometimes it's not necessary so (laughs) i would say a lot of the enjoyment that i have in it is just striving for the perfection in just about anything I do, whether it's with the chisels, with knife making, just always trying to get those fits and finishes to where they are as perfect as can be. That's, yeah. that's really, I enjoy, I enjoy the design aspect of it as far as it being a functional tool. Like that's, I would say is my first commitment is I need to have a high quality tool. But in making that, I really enjoy pushing for those machine like tolerances. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Combined with, I would say, machine-like tolerances. Combined with just the aesthetic beauty of mixing pattern-welded steels and exotic woods and that kind of thing too. How do you think?
1: Um, how do you think like your seven or eight years of, of blacksmithing and now machining and just different making things with your hands? How has it changed or shaped um, the way you view life in general or other other things in your life? I know that's a deep
2: question, but... <laughs> it is, it is, but it's a good one for I know, sure. And I know it,
1: it's a two-way street, like, you know, other areas like influence you're making, obviously, but...
2: One thing that I have seen through learning what I would call practical skills, now I, I'm not saying the high tolerance, that's not necessarily... Mm-hmm. That's that's an art, mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily call that, but for example, blacksmithing, being able to create your own tools, um, It's it's given me a perspective on how fragile the commercial production systems are and i think i personally believe it's really important to have some skills i know you value a lot of those skills too around your homestead um, that in a, that enable you to have a, a noble independence and sustainability in being able to create your own tools you know i love the art of it like with the damascus chisels but in the same in the same realm as that is the skills of just making a good quality chisel for your own use. Yeah. And I love the sustainability aspect that's at the root of handmade tools. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know it's for me. It's also that, and also it's it's really given me. Um, I just I value things more than I used to, and I value I value other people's time and work
2: mm-hmm.
1: more than I used to, and um, for sure. even more inexpensive things. Um, it's, it's, I am not as much of a bargain hunter as I used to be. I mean, I I think it's, I think frugality is great, but (laughs) I don't haggle with people as much over Mm -hmm. things that they've actually made with their own hands. Now, if it's an antique, we're going to be haggling, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I definitely, I value both old and new things a lot, a lot more than I used to and the work that goes into them.
0: What's something that at some point in your life you really, really want to try in with your with your craft? Hmm. Something you have an itch for. Besides
1: the in. Damascus draw knife. Like what's on the bucket list of things to make?
2: let's see um for me i have a hard time narrowing it down to one thing yeah (laughs) so give us four or five (laughs) one of the things close on the horizon is a damascus liner lock folder i actually got an order for one from a blacksmith who was one of my instructors
1: (laughs) no pressure he
2: wants it for his wife he wants a new folding knife for her and he wants me to make it Um, He hasn't done much Damascus. He taught me forge welding, for blacksmithing, and I've taken that knowledge and moved it to the Damascus side. He's done a little bit, but not much. Um, And he wants a wavy feather pattern Damascus blade. And I've not done feather pattern yet, because, you know, there's, it's really convenient, from, from what I can see, it's really convenient to work larger bars with feather Damascus, because you have to have, you have to be able to smash the thing down the middle. And there's a lot of material that's removed and cleaned up and it's nice to have a larger bar for doing that kind of thing Um, because i mean you can split a little half inch or three quarter inch bar but i i see it if i was going to do a lot of production it'd be nicer to have like a one or inch and a quarter bar um so i'd I'd really like to branch more into doing complex patterns in damascus Um, i've been doing a little research as far as hydraulic presses and power hammers and that kind of thing which i may end up getting in a little not too far future. Um, but I would say I would say folding knives is an area that I want to branch into that I've not done. Um, I'm blessed to have the milling machine, which will make drilling yeah. precise pinholes um really easy <laughs> compared to doing it with the old drill press that I started with back there. Um, so I would say yeah, folding knives with more complex Damascus patterns is one area I would like to branch into. And are you thinking more like areas or specific projects? All of it. Just all of it. Spe- specific projects, too. Another specific project I have on the horizon is the railing for our house. Um, I don't know if you've been. I don't think you've been in our house yet. I don't no. know if you've been here to the shop. <laughs> but We have a railing that goes up the stairs and across a balcony, about 50 feet of railing. And I'm going to be doing the railing for our house. And that's an area that I've not done much of is the... Um, structural and architectural architectural, that's the term yeah yeah Um, blacksmithing so that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun project I can't wait to see what you come up with I can't either because I don't know what I'm gonna come (laughs) up with (laughs) Uh, whatever mom wants oh
1: yeah so that's gonna be a fun project and then of course I guess high on the bucket list is a new new shop (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's not really a something you want to make but yeah. It'll make yeah, a lot of a lot of making and other projects possible.
2: It it will definitely easier. I've I've been very grateful for this space. It's worked. It's had its challenges. What is this about 12 by 12 or? This is 12 by 14. 12 by 14. My first shop was 10 by 10. So okay, but I wasn't trying to put as much in it. <laughs> Yeah, this, this but it was tight. Well. The, the weather has been one of my biggest challenges here because as you can see it's open on this side right here. Pretty much closed on three sides except the doorway back there which the doorway goes into a covered area. Um, so as far as with the more expensive machines like the multi-quip generator and the welders and the milling machine and that kind of thing. Um, I've had to be careful to really um, keep them well lubricated and often, at least with the milling machine, I keep a thin coat of oil over the entire frame. Yeah. Because especially like in the spring and in winter and that kind of thing when you get fast
1: temperature changes, yep. I've
2: come out here to find that machine just dripping, probably a couple of gallons of water hanging on it. Yeah. Um, same kind of thing with the the forge in this area out here. Um, when I leave it for a little while, I spray WD40 over it and it really helps seal that because it's out in the open. So this you must the buy area it by is. the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> we, we go through a couple gallons here, <laughs> but yeah, new shop, that, that will be wonderful. I think, I, I think we're, we're going to be going about 50 by 70 feet for the new shop.
1: Just a little bit of an upgrade. Just a little a bit. A little
2: more elbow room. It'll be nice.
0: Who are the masters that inspire you?
2: As I mentioned earlier when I started knife making, Master Smith Wayne Goddard has been one of the biggest inspirations. I have two of his books. Um, one of them kindly gifted to me by his family. He died a couple of years ago, Mr. Goddard did, and I was actually going to go, when I, when I was going out to Oregon for a trip, he lived out in that area, and I contacted him to see whether I could meet him to find that he had died two weeks before. And oh, well, I got to talk to some of his family members and just you know say I really appreciate what Mr. Goddard did, he's inspired me, I know he's inspired others. And um, as a surprise, without me knowing, they sent me one of his books that I didn't have. That's awesome. And so, yeah, I would, I would still love to meet maybe his family someday, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's been a major inspiration to me. Um, as far as other, other people, I'm trying to think of people who inspired me early on, like mm-hmm. who really got me going in it, and it was really Mr. Goddard who was like the biggest inspiration. Um, the gentleman, uh, Jack Andrews, I believe was his name, who wrote Edge of the Anvil. I have Edge of the Anvil and New Edge of the Anvil, the two, two books that he wrote. Um, Peter Parkinson, who wrote um, The Artist Blacksmith, I have one of his books. Those were two two authors who inspired me in the blacksmithing early on. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, I wasn't online. I was just reading through books, um, and those are two authors who ha- have written some really good books. The drawings, the pictures, the diagrams really helped me work out blacksmithing processes that are... are they're hard to invent yourself. You know, if you're just trying to look at one project and say, I want to make that, it can, you can spend a lot of time trying to figure out your own system or if you just look in a book how it's been done or even if it, how it hasn't been done for years, but how someone who's using modern equipment yeah. does it, it'll save you a lot of time, especially when it comes to more structural projects um, like a railing or this flower stand sitting over here to my left. Um, when you look at the way that they lay things out, the way they avoid distortions, the way they plan things, the order of operations, all that kind of stuff saves so much time. So I would say Jack Andrews, Peter Parkinson, um, Mr. Wayne Goddard, those are some of the people who really inspired me early on. What
1: are some of your pet peeves? This is one of my favorite questions. (laughs) What are some of your pet peeves in um, the world of knife making, blacksmithing, whatever? Uh, or or uh, mistakes that you see people making that, that um, you just really believe strongly could be
2: <laughs> avoided Oh, easily. you want to get me
1: started on that?
2: Okay, first... Maybe I don't. <laughs> people use sharpness tests in knife making to try to show the quality of a knife. Sharpness is not quality in a knife. It is a quality of a knife. But because someone can cut a free hanging rope does not mean they can take that knife and hammer it through a quarter inch mild steel rod without it bending the edge or chipping the edge or anything like that so that's one of my biggest things i see people they can hold a a great edge but be brittle as glass right (laughs) or it can be soft as butter and still be sharp yeah so that that's one thing that just bugs me is when i see people just only going for the sharpness test it's like no i want to see that thing chop through a hickory two by four and still shave hair without <laughs> any problem which i have done with that 8670 chopper back there i think i posted some instagram stories of chopping through hickory not a single bit of wear on the edge i haven't even sharpened the thing; still hair shaving sharp hair spots all over my arm from chopping through hickory and then just shaving off hair so yeah to, if you're going to test for quality truly test for quality <laughs> One of the,
1: uh, I think the first, sorry I just have to go throw for it. the story go for in it. there. One of the first edge tools I ever made was a, was a hatchet. A okay. folded, you know, wrought iron body folded cool. around, wrapped and welded, and I used a piece of file for the edge. And Ooh. I got the heat treat totally wrong. Files can be unpredictable anyway. Well they I usually have high sulfur doing. too. Yeah. So
2: they can easily crack in foraging.
1: And um, anyway, I was chopping a piece of green maple, so it wasn't, wasn't even that much of a test. Uh-huh. And uh, I did quite a bit of chopping and then all of a sudden, man, that just came apart. Like huge chunks. It was leaving behind chunks of itself in the wood. <laughs> like, oh, so anyway, oh, other pet peeves. <laughs>
2: oh. It stayed sharp until the edge broke off. <laughs> oh, another thing that bugs me a little bit is when people think I'm not working safely because I never wear gloves. One thing that people rarely realize, and I don't fault them for it, if you haven't done it, you just don't know, is how dangerous it is to work with gloves. Because scale will fall down the, the edges right, in, right into your hand. Um, if you get used to grabbing hot things all the time. I know people who have used gloves, they get used to grabbing hot iron, and then they forget they don't have gloves on, and they go to grab it. Yeah. And I personally think it's way safer to develop um, safe, working habits yeah without excess even if it means some
1: hard lessons and getting burned a few times i've gotten like me i'm a very slow learner so (laughs) i've i've only probably in the last year stopped touching hot iron once in a while (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, i've i've not grabbed hot iron that much Uh, occasionally you know if you've let it if you've let it cool for a little while it's black it's not showing any heat you know Red hot iron is not what burns you. It's right. the stuff that's it's the stuff that doesn't look still around seven eight hundred degrees. Right. Um, yeah, I've gotten a few scale burns here and there, but I have not had any major burns ever. I've gotten worse burns from loading our wood stove than from the porch. I
1: it, that's a that's a peeve of mine too. Is is the gloves thing. Um, a lot of beginners just don't realize like how much muscle memory and dexterity you have to build. To mm, be mm-hmm. just decent at hand forging, and um, that's—it's impossible to do that and wear gloves. Yeah, it's totally hard agree. for someone who is really good at hand forging, better than me, to wear gloves, and it be like—and it not hamper them in their hand forging, especially on the hammer yeah. hand. And um, I wear I wear a glove on my tongue hand sometimes when I'm dealing with a lot of radiant heat with a certain project mm-hmm.
2: or whatever. That totally but makes sense. Like if, if you're if you have a red hot bar that's quarter inch thick, four inches wide, and ten inches long, you're trying to slip the thing with a chisel, and your chisel's only ten inches long. To hold your hand above that thing is just gonna right. You're gonna have to have burn a glove, you. right? But a, so, the glove on the hammer hand just
1: it's like it, it's it's pointless. Yeah, and it's it's counterproductive.
2: Very much so.
1: Yeah. One of my pet peeves is is anvils that rock. <laughs> <laughs> and there's an example. does not too bad,
2: but
1: yeah. Just had to throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes, yes. I that I, I have is to say I I love your, um, just get it done. Do it with what you do. What you can with what you got. Attitude with your your forge setup that's completely outdoors. Like you're not even dragging it in and out. It's out there and you're still managing to take good care of your tools, you're keeping them from, you know, descending into a pile of rust,
2: and it's very impressive, so. Well, thank you, it's, they've, they've taken a little bit of wear for it, for sure, but it's what I have to work with right now, so do the best I can with what I have currently.
0: <laughs> what was it like to get into knife making and then realize this is extremely popular, a whole bunch of people are wanting to do the same thing or trying to do the same thing on YouTube, um, was it immediately trying to figure out how to differentiate yourself from it or um, what was what was it that went through your mind when you figured all that out?
2: What I figured and what has been my approach from the start has been if I produce a quality product first and a pretty product second it'll go further because I know people who have mine eyes from when I was 15, 16, you know they're a number of years old now and They say, to this day, they hold an edge great, they sharpen it a couple times a year at the most, and they're still happy with it. Now, I look at those, and they were nowhere near as pretty, in my opinion, as I can do now. But, um, I know other people on the flip side who chose poor materials, worked the poor materials poorly, again, this is just in my opinion, and it may have been really pretty, but the people who go to use them end up setting them on the shelf more than using them. And I would say that's one of the biggest things that I've tried to do to set my work apart is just try to keep it the quality and it being a functional tool yeah. first. Um, let's see, other things that went through my mind. Um, one thing that went through my mind a few years ago, I think it's been a few years, we don't have a TV, but I know of the TV show called Forged in Fire. And I remember I remember around when that really became popular. And I remember seeing how much it's hurt those who actually do blacksmithing. Because now everyone knows what an anvil is, everyone knows what a blower is. And there are people who have very fast resources, who are willing to pay huge prices. And in general, it has skyrocketed the price for blacksmithing tools. I've, I saw the, the prices yeah, go yeah. up because oh yeah, I was do. really getting into it looking for my first anvil and that kind of thing um, when that happened like the, the first yeah the, this anvil it's not much different than that but I was thankful to find that for almost four times as much as I got that one for yeah or my parents got that one that was the first one I started with and I don't think that's gonna be long term I think it's gonna. I think the the rise is gonna fall soon. Yeah. When people realize, like you were saying, the huge amount of muscle memory it takes and practice just hours, sometimes frustrating hours at the forge, to learn how to swing that hammer exactly how you want. When people realize what it takes, um, they're gonna start realizing. You know, I don't think I need this thing anymore. And I think in a little while, all those tools that have just been sapped yeah. up by people saying, I want to do that. I saw it on TV. I think those tools are gonna start coming yeah. back out. I don't again. know, I, Just I'm, my I'm trying not opinion. to be too
1: optimistic. I don't know how, um, I don't know if it'll be a huge flood, but I mean, I've already seen it. I've seen lots of listings online, Facebook Marketplace or wherever, okay. where people are selling their whole kit. And they usually want a crazy amount of money for it, but it, you know, it's it's usually sometimes a decent anvil and a lot of really like low quality, Mm-hmm. tools to surround it but they're they're selling out but um, i will say this go. i yeah. think i will say this i think that one thing that a lot of us overlook when we complain about the the uh the prices of these tools is that um as they've gotten more valuable fewer of these really awesome not being made anymore hundred year old anvils vices blowers whatever mm-hmm. Fewer of them are getting scrapped,
2: mm, mm-hmm.
1: and that's something we've got to remember. And um, is that, you know, yeah. as as much as we begrudge the um, the high prices and everybody thinking that their anvils made of gold, and and also I see people yep. getting annoyed <laughs> with um, collectors mm, mm-hmm. who are just collecting lots and lots, hundreds sometimes. Yeah. And um, but the truth is that collector's going to die at some point. Mm-hmm. His collection's going to get dispersed. But collectors. And high prices save tools. True. And that's that's something I begrudgingly admit. But it Mm -hmm. is like, you know, if you care about the stuff, you should also be thankful that it's not getting scrapped. I still see stuff getting scrapped. And I still see people finding amazing stuff, even Mm -hmm. anvils and vices, in the
2: scrapyards. And that's just, that's heartbreaking to me. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I've I've found, I've been blessed to find a few of those treasures here and there. But yeah, you think about what goes on across the country as far as what gets scrapped, you just wish you could have an eye on every scrapyard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It's There's an upside and a downside Yeah, to it.
1: And I would like to see blacksmithing, not just bladesmithing, but blacksmithing and real bladesmithing more generally popularized where people have more knowledge of it. But there are always those downsides.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I love teaching people. I specifically love teaching other young people. Um, That's, I I do classes, knife-making classes and blacksmithing classes here. Um, And I would say 90% of my students are people from ages 8 to 25, maybe Mm -hmm. 30. Um, And I love teaching. I absolutely love teaching people, especially the really young ones because they just, you know, when you find someone who's really passionate about it, they're just like, yes, this is what I want to do. This is so fascinating to see something taken from a raw bar um, to a finished product and the sustain, like I mentioned earlier, the sustainability that goes yeah. with that. Yeah. It's, it's a blast. Yeah. Absolute blast.
0: What's, what's a tool that you couldn't part with? A tool that I couldn't part with. Could be rephrased in so many different ways. Yeah. What's your most valuable tool?
2: Money wise, <laughs> that milling <laughs> machine. <laughs> Functionally, probably that forge. I would say just about all my projects go through that forge at some point. You could get Um, away with a block of mm -hmm. something for an anvil. In fact, this hunk of granite behind me back here, it's about 160 pounds, it's a headstone. I got it from a cemetery. I didn't take it from a cemetery, it was given to me. It was replaced. It was was broken and replaced. (laughs) It's got a major chip on the corner. I think the mowers, someone in landscaping through the cemetery hit the thing, chipped a big chunk out of the corner, they replaced it. This thing was sitting outside the building and I was that was my first anvil. I was about 13 or 14. And swung into this place and went in and said, hey is there any chunks of granite I can have? And they said, yep we have this one, you can take it. So, yeah, like you were mentioning, you can use a lot of things. I've used that thing. Um, I've used just blocks of steel. I absolutely love forklift forks. I get them from the scrap yard. I cut them on the bandsaw. Um, there's a chunk back there. It's 260 pounds. And that's my striking anvil. It's It's a it obviously has some more hardness they have to be pretty springy to be forklift forks and it's got a definitely got a hardness level that's above mild steel and you can use a lot of things for an anvil but yeah that forge is definitely a workhorse for me where can people find you online online the two places i have online right now are my instagram page which is at kenton.adams my name with a dot in the middle kenton.adams And I have a YouTube channel where I share videos of projects. I have um, two projects of knife making, one doing a Damascus knife. I have one on there of making a steel bouquet, a whole bouquet of flowers out of all um, steel. The flowers are all sheet metal, forged sheet metal. Um, And my channel name is, my name, Kenton Adams.
1: Awesome. Well, once again, thanks for having us out to your shop. And uh, I can't wait to see the new one and maybe even get to help put it up I hope I
2: I hope I hope I do so it's been a joy having you guys here (laughs) thanks for having us
0: if you'd like to help us in this venture support axe and anvil on patreon where you'll also get early access and exclusive content follow our journey on our website Instagram Facebook and YouTube at axe and anvil